You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. Our our scripture lesson today, uh, it's very other. It's almost upside down. The story of Jesus healing the Gerasene demoniac is our lesson today. It's a story that invites us to ponder how we are called to respond to God's transformative grace. And I know we just had a full sermon series on grace, but as good United Methodists, I hope you never tire of hearing of it. So our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse 26. It'll be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out, as Jesus stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter there, enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and was drowned. When the swine, when the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when Jesus, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our story begins with, Then they arrive at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And it is opposite Galilee in every way. This entire story of Jesus healing the Gerasene demoniac is opposite Galilee. Galilee in every way. The story is almost upside down. It's almost an inverse of what we've heard of Jesus 
thus far. We are in Gentile country. They raise pigs. Pigs are not a clean animal, according to the Jewish law. But Jesus goes anyway. It's interesting, the company that Jesus keeps round about this area in the Gospel of Luke are people that we might not expect Jesus to be with, or at least the Pharisees did not expect Jesus to be with them. He healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and the woman touches his cloak, which makes Jesus unclean. Jesus is with a Gentile soldier, a centurion guard of Rome. Jesus raises a widow's son in the city called Nain, and he touches the funeral pyre, which also makes Jesus unclean. This radical Jesus, you could see why the Pharisees were at odds with him, because he's doing things that he shouldn't. He is very opposite Galilee right now. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He did not live in a house, but in the tombs. It didn't take long for Jesus. He sets foot on dry land, and as soon as he sets foot on the other side of Galilee, he is met by this man who has a possession, who is infected, who is being controlled. He has demons. He wore no clothing. He lived outside of the city in a cemetery. And these demons would control him and give him seizures. They would chain him up for his own protection, or maybe theirs. But he would break through these chains. So they they had no idea what to do with him. So they cast him out, and he lived among the tombs of the city. Now, whether this is a a spiritual force or a a mental illness or, or, or something else, He is an outcast. They simply don't know what to do. Now, when we gather around the Lord's table, one of the things that we say in the great thanksgiving is, make us a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. We are called to be a sacrifice, yes, but a holy and living sacrifice. Being a holy and living sacrifice propels us to be in community not to be in isolation as this man was. To be a holy and living sacrifice, not to meander among the dead. To be a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ, not in union with the things that want to destroy us. Whether it is an addiction or an illness or past sins that have just not been reconciled. This man is being separated from everyone. This is a story that is certainly opposite Galilee. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Interestingly, this demon knows who Jesus is and recognizes his power and authority. Maybe more to the point, this demon actually asks a very good question. What have you to do with me, Jesus? It's a question we should ask of ourselves often. What have you to do with me, Jesus, this day? 
God, what are you calling me to do? Who are you calling me to become? What have you to do with me? It's kind of like that hymn. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord. If you lead me, I will hold your people in my heart. Though there's a word in this hymn that has always bothered me. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. Of course God is leading. Of course God is calling. But we say if sometimes because it kind of gives us an out. Lord, here I am. Send me. But, you know, I would be okay if you were to send someone else to do this really difficult job. I will go, Lord, if, if you're, you're leading me to do it. But I will not be offended, Lord, should you choose someone else. If. It's a powerful word. You know, when Jesus uh, went to Zacchaeus, you know Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, right? He went to Zacchaeus' house and after that interaction with Jesus, Zacchaeus comes out and he goes, if I have wronged anyone, I will repay them. And I could just hear Jesus saying, if? <laughs> really, Zacchaeus, if? But, but Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. In other words, maybe if was about as good as Zacchaeus was going to get, at least in the short term. I will go, Lord, if you already haven't chosen someone else that's more qualified and more brave than me, right? If, it's a powerful word, here I am, Lord, send me. I've done this before. When I was answering my calling into ministry, I remember saying, here I am, Lord, send me. But if at all possible, I'd love never to have to lead another youth lock-in ever again. I had been a youth director for six years. I had, Lord, I have been your servant. I have done what you have asked me. Lord, I will enter ordained ministry. But if, if, if it's okay with you, I don't want to lead another youth lock-in ever again. And in God's infinite sense of humor, the very first thing I did as a ministry intern at Myers Park United Methodist in Charlotte, North Carolina, was, as you might guess, lead a youth lock-in. Actually, it was a lock-out where the youth spend the entire night outside of the church, and I had to lead it because neither of the youth directors were old enough to drive the church van. <laughs> the Lord works in mysterious ways, man. I tell you, here I am, Lord. Send me. Even though, even though this question, what have you to do with me, Jesus, comes from an unlikely source, a very opposite Galilee kind of source, it is a question we should ask. What have you to do with me, Jesus? Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. This again reveals Jesus' power. In the ancient world, if you were to give someone your name, you were acknowledging that they are of a higher status than you. They have the power. Now, the demons recognize who Jesus is, but Jesus didn't give his name to them. Jesus asks, What is your name? And they, Legion, my name is Legion, please do not send me to the abyss. It's a recognition of the power that Jesus has. Same kind of thing happens when Moses is at the burning bush uh, and, and he's there and, uh, and Moses says, 
When they ask, who sent me? Who am I supposed to say sent me? What is your name? Moses is not asking because he doesn't know with whom he is speaking. Earlier in that text in Exodus 3, the Lord from the burning bush said, I am the Lord your God. I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Moses knows who he's talking to. And yet he goes, he kind of, he kind of deflects. I'm not asking for me, Lord. But if they want to know your name, what am I supposed to say to them? Moses wants just a little bit of that power. And of course, God says, Moses, I am who I am. If you have to tell him anything, tell him, I am sent you. Life itself is, is sending you. What it means to be alive is with you. It's an interesting thing um, uh, because the, uh, the, the, the text takes a break. And it reminds us of where we are. I love it. It says, um, now, because we've had this really great interaction with Jesus in this in legion, and what are we going to do? Don't send us into the abyss. And then the text takes a little break, and it says, now, there on the hillside, there were a herd of swine feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave his permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Interesting detail uh, in the story. And the story takes just a break to remind us that we are opposite Galilee. Remember, uh, pigs were unclean according to the Jewish law. So here is a herd of them in this Gentile land. And the demons ask to be placed within them. And then eventually the swine jumps off of a cliff into the water. It's a strange detail unless we remember what happens just before Jesus gets to the land of the Gerasenes. Just before Jesus gets there, he is in the boat uh, with the disciples and they're crossing over. And there was a great storm uh, on the lake. And Jesus is sleeping, uh, not because he was exhausted, but he was at peace, right? There's a, there's a whole sermon series we can do on Jonah and the idea of sleeping during, during the storm. But Jesus is there and they wake him up. Lord, Lord, don't you care? There's, we're going to be captured. We're going to die. So Jesus gets up and he calms the storm. The wind and the, and I love the disciples said, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Here is the opposite Galilee part of this story. Legion knows who Jesus is. Legion knows the power that Jesus has and asks to be tossed into the water. Understand water, uh, according to uh, the Israelites, water is a symbol of chaos and it is a symbol of fear and it is a symbol of danger. They were not a great uh, seafaring people. Well, that's one of the reasons when Moses was leaving Egypt, God held back the waters for them to pass through. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep and God's spirit hovered over the waters. There was chaos and fear. Legion knows Jesus and these demons only asked to be sent back to the chaos from whence they came. But here we are in the boat with the disciples. Jesus calms the storm and the disciples have no idea. Who, who, they say this, who is this who has the power to calm the storm, the chaos to rise 
above it. Oh, this text is very opposite. (laughs) Very opposite Galilee, indeed. When the swine herds saw what had happened. Now imagine, whatever field you're in, imagine if a visitor came to your town and ruined your entire inventory in the blink of an eye. The swine herds saw what had happened, and they ran back to the city to tell the city what had happened. Then the people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they shouted hallelujah. No. They gave praise to God over what Jesus... No. It says they were afraid. The man is healed, sitting at Jesus' feet, which is a sign that the man is a disciple of Jesus. He appears to be normal. And instead of giving praise, they're fear. What kind of power does this man have? And he's already ruined our entire economy. So instead of giving praise to God, instead of shouting hallelujah or Jesus, here are some others who are sick, let us take them to you. They say, Jesus... You better get. You already ruined our pocketbooks. I'm not sure we want you hanging around much longer. They're fearful. They are afraid. Jesus, we're not, we're not sure you want, we want you to change what we're doing. I came across a, a great quote, and I should have put it on the screens, um, so you'll just have to listen. Uh, It's a quote by Ernest Tittle in his uh, uh, commentary on the Gospel of Luke. And he talks about our fearfulness, and he talks about the perpetuation of fear. This is what he says. We are afflicted with a chronic uneasiness. We are unsure about money and what it is for. We are not sure our judgments concerning books, plays, national policies, or private conduct. We are not sure about ourselves, whether we have what it takes to cope with life and make the most and best of it. We of this generation, no doubt, must get used to living in a dangerous world. Mankind certainly has within its power to abolish hunger poverty, chaos, the worst forms of social injustice, and the threat of atomic destruction. What may be most remarkable about this quote is that it was written in 1951. My, how things seem to remain consistent. Jesus, you better get because you're starting to change a whole lot about what's happening here, and we're not quite sure we want it. Jesus has the power to release us from bondage, to repeating the same faults and sins and failures and missteps, but sometimes we are just fearful in accepting what freedom means. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. 
Everything is upside down in this story, and the ending is no different. The man wants to journey with the disciples, and who can blame him? Not only has Jesus healed him, but what kind of damage has he caused? Does he have a spouse? Does he have children? Did he have a business? Are his parents filled with shame? Of course he wants to go and follow the disciples on the other side of the lake. And usually Jesus, usually Jesus says, drop your nets and follow me, carry the cross and follow me. But here he says, return home, go back home, and proclaim all of the goodness that God is doing for you. In other words, sometimes the first step of discipleship, the first step in answering a calling, sometimes it's the last step in answering a calling, is for that calling to begin exactly where we are. In our home, in our family of faith, in our work, our place of business, maybe that calling begins there. Sometimes a calling from God sends you out, outside of your context, sends you very far, sends you to seminary, it sends you to do wild things that you never thought possible, but sometimes that calling begins at home to look at the person you live with and say, you know, I'm sorry, and I love you. Return to your home, Jesus says. Let the work begin there. Declare how much God has done for you. What are you to do with me, Lord? What are you to do with me? Sometimes we think we are unworthy of a calling from God. Sometimes we think we are too worthy until we get that calling from God. (laughs) You've heard the proverbial, be careful what you pray for because you just might get it. What would you have to do with me, Lord? The answer The answer is everything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, here we are, Lord. Send us. Whether that is to the ends of the earth or across the street, or in our own home. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Help us to proclaim the good works that you are doing. Help us to even go to those places that are opposite Galilee. May we be healed so that we may may proclaim well your glory. Help us to recognize the power and the authority of Christ And help us to follow in whichever way you are calling us to follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. He who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.
Amen. It would be a mighty fine letter.